Who do you look up to? Lots of times we uh, ask this question to kids, who do you want to be when you grow up? But for us, maybe we are grown up and we just ask this question, who do we look up to? Who do we aspire to be? Who is that person or those persons in our lives where we look at them and say, I want to be like you someday or I want to have what you have in some way, shape or form. When we look at these people in our lives, hopefully it's not the things that they have or the career that they have, but the choices that they make that stand out to us. It's the choices in their lives that stand out to us that lead to the character that they have in their life. That's typically the reason we look up to someone or we we admire someone for who they are and, and, and what kind of life they live. You see, my dad always told me, um, if you're watching, dad, uh, don't let your friends see this, but he always said, the best boat is your friend's boat, right? Because you don't want to have a boat to store and to take care of. I mean, maybe some of you do, and that's probably awesome. But if your friend has a boat and you don't have a boat, they take care of it, they do all the maintenance, and you just get to use it for free. And that's like the best kind of boat to have because you get to use it without all the stuff that comes with it. But hopefully... Hopefully what's true about your situation with you and your friend and your friend's boat is that the boat isn't the reason you hang out with your friend. The reason you hang out with your friend is because they give life to you. They live their life in a way that you enjoy being around them. You enjoy being their friend and then the boat is just a little bit extra on top. I think when we look at the life of others and we aspire to be like them, that's what comes through is their character, their integrity. When we make our list of one or three or five people in our lives that we look up to, that's the thing that stands out. And hopefully for you, if you're not already in this position, you are that person for someone else. Then when someone else looks at you, you're, they're like, hey, I see in you, I, they see in me, the kind of character that stands out, the way that, they, the way that I live my life, I hope that people look at me and say, well, I admire that, and I want to be some form of that. But what stands between now and that day is the choices that we make, the decision to act with integrity in our life. We've been defining integrity this way. It's doing what you ought to, even if it costs you. There's an undeniable ought to in our lives, an undeniable right and wrong. You should do this instead of that when it comes to the decisions that we make in our lives. There's an ought to. But lots of times, almost all the time, when we do what we ought to, it's going to cost us something. And acting with integrity is the right thing. It's the right and noble thing. It's the thing that, that God would want us to do But sometimes it can be hard because it can cost us. It can limit us. It can make us feel like we're restricted and we don't have the freedom that we would like to in our lives. So how do we we deal with that? How do we look at the things that will cost us even though we're supposed to do it? You know, integrity is a tricky thing when we look at it because there's a few facets of it that we make exceptions for. Right, we look at our own lives and say, okay, when I have a breach of integrity or when I make a mistake or when I do something I know I ought not to do, I extend myself all the grace in the world. 
I'm going to forgive myself time and time again. I'm going to ask other people to forgive myself time and time again. I expect God to forgive me every single time. But when we flip the script at someone else, we're not very quick to extend that same grace. We're not very quick to say, well, I forgive you, and no matter what you've done to me, it's, it's all good. Lots of times we ask, well, why did you do that? You should have done this instead of that. You, you make me so angry or frustrated. And we sit with that. When it comes to our own integrity, we're quick to excuse ourselves, but not other people, which creates a tension between us and the people around us. And then there's the thing about personal integrity that it's in fact personal. Our personal integrity is made up of the choices that we make. But just because it's personal doesn't mean it's private. Right? We think, oh, our decisions that we make only affect us and, and nobody else around us. But if we pay attention to the world that we live in, we just know that's not true. Is that our personal decisions are personal, but they're not private. They affect other people. They affect the world around us. And if we're not careful, other people bear the weight of our mistakes. Ben used, used this example a couple weeks ago about how in a structure, in a structure if there is a beam or, or a pillar that's holding a place together that's bearing weight, and you take that out of the structure. It's not going to just affect that one part of the structure. It affects the entire thing because every other piece of that structure has to bear weight. And the same is true with our integrity, is that when we act irresponsibly, someone else has to bear the responsibility of us. Our decisions are then cast onto someone else and they have to bear the weight of our poor choices, of our lack of integrity. So when we don't experience uh, grace in giving that to other people and we do act irresponsibly, the world around us is affected. The world around us is hurt, it's damaged. Other people have to bear our burdens. But the same is true the other way around. When we realize that we need to extend grace to other people the same way we expect it for us. And when we understand that our personal integrity is not private, we live a life conscious of what other people are thinking, other people are doing, how we affect other people, and it allows us to guide our lives in a direction to live with integrity and hopefully live in a better world. We've been talking in this series with, um, through a guide verse in Proverbs. Proverbs 11, 3 says, The integrity of the upright will guide them, but the crookedness of the treacherous will destroy them. And in this passage, in this verse, Solomon is talking literally. He's saying, hey, when you walk upright, when you're, when you're straight looking ahead, you can see around you. You can see the obstacles to your right, to your left. When you approach a cliff, if you're walking upright, you can see the danger. You can see the cliff and you can steer away from that. You can steer yourself in a better direction to make better decisions. But when you walk crooked, when you walk slouched over, you don't see the world around you. You only see your very next step. And you can't be prepared for what's coming at you in any direction in your life. And the result of the crookedness is that it will destroy you. It will destroy us. And we'll find ourselves in situations that we didn't intend to be in, and we don't want to be in, and we'll find ourselves trying to find a way out. And when we're acting like that, when we get caught by surprise, usually that's not when our best decision-making happens. You see, this verse, the integrity of the upright 
will guide them is really difficult for me. You may ask, why is this difficult for you? Because I have terrible posture, and I have my entire life. Uh, when I was younger, I uh, made the decision, conscious or unconscious, to slouch in my chair. I vividly remember being in like first or second grade, and I'm sitting at the lunch table, and I'm like bent over. I'm either bent over or, or laid back. And that, for my entire life, for the past 20 years, has led me to have bad posture. And I'm beginning to have back pain. And some of you who have been through that or are, are, are going through it right now, you're like, you're only 25. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not looking forward to the next 20 years of my life of back pain. But it wasn't because the decision I made today, it wasn't because I just said, hey, today I'm going to have bad posture. No, it's because 20 years ago, I made the decision that I wasn't really going to care about it. And now I'm paying for that today. And when we look back in our lives, I'm sure we can all point out those few things that were like, that was a pattern, that was a habit, that was a behavior, that if I could go back, I would change, and it'd probably affect my life in a positive manner. It'd probably allow me to walk a more upright path, to act with integrity, to build our lives on integrity. A few weeks ago, Ben talked about Jacob and Esau and how Esau sold his whole inheritance for a bowl of stew. And we're going to talk about another story um, with a guy who was involved in a story, how he lived a life of integrity, and how it had to do revolving food. If there's one thing you take away from today, it's that integrity and food are combined. That's something that we need to reflect on in our lives in some way, shape, or form, but we can talk about that another day. But today, we're going to talk about Daniel. Daniel is um, pretty famous in terms of the Bible narrative. When we look at his life, we see the heroics of Daniel. We see the decisions that he made. We, saw, we see the life that he lives. This story takes place when he is 15 years old. It's at the very beginning of Daniel's life. It takes place around 600 BC, 600 years before Jesus walked this earth. And King Nebuchadnezzar, was the king of Babylon. And because I'm kind of a nerd, I'm going to throw a map up on the screen, and we're just going to walk through a little bit of the territory. I feel like it gives us a better understanding of why this is important and where this all takes place. So King Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon in the middle right. And at the time, the Assyrian Empire was um, the conquering force of the Middle East, of the Near East at the time mixed in with a little bit of the Egyptians. They met at Carchemish and had a great battle. This is when the Babylonians overtook the Assyrians, and the Babylonians essentially conquered all of the area in the region, in the Middle East that we know today. So they, they get to this place, they defeat them at Carchemish, and they're like, well, we're not stopping there. King Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm not letting my kingdom stop just at this one place. We're going to keep going. So he makes his way down that other line, goes to Jerusalem and, cap and captures the capital city of Israel, God's, God's city where his chosen people um, have been instructed to be at. So now that's controlled by the Babylonians and he has conquered all of this land. Now, Nebuchadnezzar has two things that are interesting about him as he's going through all these things. Two things that he is bringing back to him, or back with him, to Babylon. You see, the first one are kings. 
You know, most people, when they conquer a place, I mean, we wouldn't do this, but most other kings would in ancient times. When they conquer a place, they'd probably kill the king or kill um, and destroy the town and conquer it and declare it theirs. Well, he didn't do that. He walked into these places, every place that had a king, and he'd said, all right, listen, so I'm taking over, I'm replacing you, and then you as the king are going to come with me. I'm going to take you back to my palace, and we're going to create like a zoo. We're going to put all the kings that I have conquered in cages that way, When people come into my palace, I can show off my power. I can show off my authority. So King Nebuchadnezzar would have people in and be like, hey, look at my king collection. I don't know what you collect, if it's cards or cars or anything else, but kings is a weird way to show your power and have an interest. To collect kings is a weird way. And he, he had this vision, this idea of bringing people into Babylon, capturing their kings, but also bringing in the best and the brightest from the region outside of Babylon. So the second thing that he did was he brought people from all over into the city of Babylon. That's where we're going to pick up in Daniel 1, verse 3. It says, if I can find it, it says, the, the king ordered Asphanaz, the chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility. So along with the kings, he captured the kings. He also was bringing in individuals. And he's saying, we're going to have a superior nation. We're going to have a superior people. We're going to bring in the best and the brightest from the nobility, the people who are higher up, and they're going to bring them. And we're going to have a melting pot in Babylon. And people, again, are going to look at us and think, they're powerful. They're strong. They're diverse. That's, that's the best place in the world to live. It goes on to say that young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. So not only are they bringing the best and the brightest, they're, they're bringing these men to serve in the king's palace without any defect, the the smartest, the brightest, the strongest. And this is summarizing a group of boys that Nebuchadnezzar is bringing into his palace. He's really saying, all right, so we're going to gather the best and the brightest of 15-year-old boys and bring them to my palace, and we're going to lead them. We're going to train them up. It says, the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine for the king's table. So these boys are going to come in, the king is going to bring them in, they're going to be trained up, they're going to have food, they're going to have wine, they're going to have a place to stay, which wasn't very common in this time. That's why most likely their parents, even though these boys were getting stripped away from their home and taken to a far off land, their parents probably put an arm around them and said, listen, so I'm taking you away, or you're getting taken away, and I don't like it because we probably won't see you. However, this is a really good gig. Don't mess it up. You're going to this palace. You are going to be given responsibility. You're going to have the best of the food. The king eats the best food. Therefore, if they get fed the king's food, they are getting the best food. Something that they wouldn't get anywhere else. So they're like, hey, don't mess it up because you can be replaced. I'm sure there's other 15-year-old boys that can come in and fill this job as well. 
Now, in this, um, there were a couple of Hebrew boys that were also brought in, and you might know them. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There's a few stories of, of these four in the Bible, but they are amongst some of the boys brought in to the king's palace to be led up to be um, trained as his service. And they are going along, and I can only imagine what they're feeling in this moment, that they are brought into a new place. They don't know anybody except for maybe each other. And not only that, but, you know, an ultimate way of deciding ownership, an ultimate way of deciding who has the power is the ability to name someone. So it's like when you adopt a dog and maybe they're six years old and it's been going by Buster for its entire life and then you switch its name to Dave. You're like, you are Buster, but now you are Dave. It's pretty confused, maybe for a little while, because it's been going by Buster for its entire life. But it picks up and it catches on. But imagine that for a 15-year-old boy that has his name changed, not to mention he's going through puberty and trying to figure out, you know, what we know is like the high school times, where does he fit along in society? He's more lost than a sixth grade boy at his first high school dance or first middle school dance. He's confused. He doesn't know what's going on. So these boys are in this confusing situation, but they're like, well, I guess we got to go along. Everyone's going to go along because that's what the king says. Everyone's going to come in to this place and we're going to follow orders because they don't want to mess it up. They're getting good treatment. And if they don't, they don't know what the consequences for not following what the king says. Everyone did this except for Daniel. See, Daniel said, I don't know about this. I don't know if this is the direction that I want to take. It says, Daniel resolved. But Daniel resolved. And what resolved literally means is to set your heart, to set your mind on something to make up your mind despite what's going on around you. It says, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself. To defile means to stain, to blemish, to hurt your reputation, to hurt who you are, to hurt your character. He resolved not to defile himself in this moment. And you might be asking, well, why, why would he not? Or why would he resolve not to defile himself? Why would he make this decision even though it's all laid out in front of him? Well, it's because in this time, um, food was valuable. And people looked at food as a blessing, not just as something that we take for granted. People back then didn't look and say, all right, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we have all our meals planned out. Most of the time, it was day to day that they had to figure out what they were going to eat. Because the only things that would keep were grain and wine. Even the meats that they had, they could salt for a little while, but they didn't last. So they were always teetering back and forth on the brink of starvation. So every time they got some food, they would give, they would receive it as a blessing from God. It kicked off a chain of events that uh, they recognized that it was God who gave the food. The food nourished the body, the body gave good health, and health led to prosperity. It's why we are all familiar with, or or might know, 
a mealtime prayer that goes something along the lines of, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for this food. Or, or let this food nourish our body. We probably all have heard something along the lines of that in our lives, but it's attributing this idea that food comes from God and it's a blessing. So in this case, as Daniel's looking at this of like, God, food, body, health, prosperity, if he were to eat the king's food, he would be stepping away from his God because gods in this time were pretty geographical. His God, Yahweh, the, the God of Israel, was supposedly just over the nation of Israel, but they're in Babylon. So the, so the God of Babylon is Marduk. And if he were to eat food from the king, he would be defiling himself from what God has given him and would be going in the direction of Marduk and attributing the food to Marduk. And he said, I'm just not going to do that. I'm resolving, I'm making this decision ahead of time that I am not going to put myself in a position of compromise. I am not going to take a step in the wrong direction, even if it's going to cost me. And, he, and Daniel, Daniel doesn't know how this story is going to end. We can look back and see the beginning, the middle, the end of Daniel's life. And we can see all the things that are going on in his life and what he stands for. But in this moment, a 15-year-old boy, because of his faith, is saying, no, I'm not going to follow what the king has for me. I'm not going to follow what the king is directing me to do because I'm not going to defile myself. And the next verse puts into perspective what's going on. But don't we all wish that we had that sort of resolve? Don't we all wish that we could look at the world the way that Daniel did in this moment and say, I see the greater perspective. I see the right decision to make and I'm going to make it no matter what. I'm deciding ahead of time to make that. For some reason, a 15-year-old boy sees what lots of times we, we can't. We see that a breach in our integrity hurts us and leads to bad things. In fact, you know, a f the first breach of integrity leads to another, right? If we have one breach of integrity, when we have one mistake that we make, it leads to another. And not only does it lead to another, it makes the second one a little bit easier. We've all told a lie for the first time. And it might be kind of difficult to tell a lie for the first time. But the second time is always a little bit easier. Or whatever sin or whatever mistake that is, the first time is fairly difficult. But the second time becomes easier because like, ah, we've, we've done it before. We've made that choice before. So, so we'll do it again. Ah, I've made that sin once and God's forgiven me then. So the second time, ah, forgive me again. I'm already, I'm already guilty for this one time, so I can be guilty a second time. When we make and have a breach in our integrity, it oftentimes makes the second one easier. And when we have a second breach in our integrity, it creates a pattern. It creates a pattern in our lives. And what we know about patterns, what we know about habits, is that good habits, good patterns set us up for success in our lives. They allow us to be focused. They allow us to have a goal. They allow us to be driven. But when we have a negative pattern, especially in the realm of breaches in our integrity, if we create sin patterns in our lives, it leads to destruction. 
it leads to the destruction of our relationships, our marriages, our careers. That when we establish bad patterns of broken integrity in our lives, the consequences are felt by us and everybody else around us. Everything that's important in our lives feels the weight of our broken integrity. And as difficult as, the, is that it, as that is, it's like, how do we not see this? As a 15-year-old boy, Daniel saw this, but how do we not see this? But in this moment, Daniel's like, I am resolving. I'm resolving not to break my integrity. I will not have one breach because that will lead to another, which will lead to another. The next verse goes on to say that Daniel asked the chief official. Daniel asked the chief official, he said, hey, I can't defile myself in that way. I'm not going to do what you say. He went out on a limb, he said, so I've made up my mind. I'm not going to do it. What is the chief official supposed to say? At this moment, the start of the next verse, it says, now God. And Daniel is putting himself in a position or like we said, he doesn't know how the story is going to go. He doesn't know where this ends. He could be killed for this. But he says, all right, now, God, I'm giving you everything. I have everything for you. Do with me what you will. You haven't given me any promises. Daniel was not met by an angel and told, hey, you're going to be okay. Don't eat the food. You're fine. He was not approached by God in a dream that said, hey, don't worry about it. Do the right thing. You'll be good later on. He was putting himself at the mercy of God. But the problem is that mercy was not a vocabulary word that was in Nebuchadnezzar's vocabulary. He didn't even know what that meant. He killed people for reasons less than this. And Daniel says, I'm putting faith in my God. Now, God, do with me what you will. It goes on to say, now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to David. David didn't know that he was, or sorry, Daniel. Daniel didn't know that God was going to show compassion. Daniel didn't know that God was going to be there for him, but he trusted that he would. And God showed compassion. And the official looked at him and said, okay, I'll show compassion, but, but that didn't take away his worries. That didn't take away the questions that the official had because the official, it says, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. And have my head is a phrase that we hear in our workplace and our families of like, hey, if I do something my wife doesn't like, she's going to have my head. Figure of speech. But in this time, Nebuchadnezzar would literally have this chief official's head. That if he allowed Daniel and his friends to do this thing, to go against the order that they had, that the chief official might pay the price. So Daniel steps in and he, he barters. He, he negotiates a deal to this chief official and says, all right, how about this? Let's make a deal. For 10 days, I am going to uh, eat only vegetables and water. And at the end of 10 days, you can test me. And if I am 
equal or, or better than the other boys that are going into the service that are being trained up, then I can continue to do this. I'll be alongside. Well, what they didn't know back then is vegetables and water are probably better for you than meat and wine. So at the end of the 10 days, at the end of the 10 days, the chief official agreed to this and he tested them. And he comes out and says, well, these, these boys are, are doing great. These boys, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are doing great. They're, they're physically fit. They're, they're holding their own against everyone else, so I guess we'll, we'll let them do it. And the chief official was like, okay, this is fine. We'll do it. And they trained them for three years. After the three years, they brought them into the king's palace. And the king, Nebuchadnezzar, was there to judge them, to say, okay, are you fit to join my service? Because if not, we'll toss you aside and we'll pick someone else. But it says in Daniel 1.19, the, the king found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. Those are their Hebrew names. Those are um, the, their pre-renamed names. The king found none others that were greater than these four Hebrew boys. All this to say, all this to come back to, this would not have been the case if Daniel didn't make up his mind ahead of time. None of this would have mattered if Daniel took it one step at a time and, was, and confronted each issue as it came up. But he made his mind up ahead of time to say, God, I am not going to defile myself. I'm not going to turn my back on you. I'm going to follow you the best that I can. Now, the next verse is typically something that we would just brush, brush over. If we're just reading this on a Tuesday morning and we're reading this section, we would probably read this first and just move on and not think anything of it. But what comes next is a declaration of the life that Daniel lived. It says in verse 21, and Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Right? We, we would just read over that. However, if, if we look at the lineage of the kings in Babylon, we know that Nebuchadnezzar ruled for about 30 years, and Daniel was with him. Daniel was uh, in his ear the entire time. But then when King Nebuchadnezzar died and the next king came, King Darius, he ruled for another 30, 40 years. And then when he died, King Cyrus stepped into the king, uh, the king of Babylon, and Daniel... 70 years later, living a life of integrity, was still there, was still serving the king. He had a voice in the most powerful person in the world's ear for 70 years. And I could only imagine what his integrity, what his character, how that impacted the Babylonian Empire through that time. It probably made things a little bit better, probably had some influence that affected a lot of lives along the way. And it's a testament to the life that Daniel lived. You see, throughout this uh, journey that Daniel is serving the king, he landed in this spot about 55 years in where he was tested. 
Through all this time, he was building his resume. He was performing. Um, this is during the time of King Darius. And King Darius steps in to the king as the king of Babylon. And he appoints 120 governors and then three administrators to rule over the land. The governors report to the administrators. The administrators report to King Darius. One of those administrators was Daniel because Daniel was trusted. And he did a really good job. And he, and he earned the respect of the king. Not only did he earn the respect of the king for that position, after a certain amount of time, the king said, well, Daniel, you're doing such a great job. I'm going to promote you. I'm going to make you over the entire kingdom. So essentially, I'm going to be lazy, sit over here, be the face of the kingdom. You're going to do the day-to-day. You're going to do all the work, and then I'll get all the credit. So Daniel steps into that, but the Babylonian citizens don't like it. They look at him and say, why are we letting a Hebrew in as one of the biggest, most influential people to our empire. So they look at him and they try to dig up some dirt. They look, go looking and they say, okay, what can we find on this guy? What mistakes has he made? What crookedness has he displayed? Has he been corrupt at all? They dig and dig and dig. They look for skeletons in the closet. And this is what it says in Daniel 6.4. But they were unable to do so. They were unable to find anything. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. This person that had been in government for 50 years had no blemishes. They couldn't find anything. Daniel lived a life of integrity and it reflected even when most people would have cost them to be in government for that long. You see, Daniel lived this life for 55 years at this point. They found nothing. And I think that's the kind of person that we want in charge. That's the person that we want in our government. That's the person that we want in our workplace. That's the person that we want leading our families. That's the person, person we should aspire to in our circle of influence. So that when people go looking to dig up stuff on us, dig up the dirt, that they find nothing. That they have no evidence to charge on anything. To cap it all off, it finishes and says, Finally, these men said, We will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the laws of his God. These men looked at Daniel and said, the only thing that we can find is that he followed his God too well. That his integrity was so strong, that he he had faith in God that was so rooted that that was the only charges we could bring up against him. That was the only way that that interfered with maybe some of our government laws. That was the only thing. And I wish someone would look at me and say, man, you follow God so well that you are so devoted to him that that's the only blemish I can find on you. And hopefully, that's your goal too. Your goal, our goal, should be to to be at the top of someone's list, to be at the top of someone's admiration list, that when when someone else looks at us, they're like, I want to be like that person. I aspire to be them. Their integrity stands out. I want to live the life of character 
that they have, that Daniel had. And I think the world around us is going to be better because of it. Now, the question that I ask you is, have you decided what Daniel decided? Have you decided to make up your mind? And if you haven't, that's okay. Because I understand. Why, why would we make the sacrifice to make up our mind ahead of time? Because lots of times we like taking it one day at a time, one situation at a time, one moment at a time. It gives us freedom. It gives us flexibility. We, we enjoy being able to not be bogged down by a bunch of rules and a bunch of things that we have to follow. But the reality is, is that if our actions and our days are not decided by integrity, so they're going to be decided by something else. And lots of times that's fear. We'll let fear into our minds and that will drive our decisions. And, and you and I know that we don't make our wisest decisions when we're afraid, when we have fear in our lives. Specifically, the fear of, of missing out. Because we'll look at the world around us and we'll say, well, I could do that and I could do this and that would be fun because we're afraid of missing out. But sometimes the fun things aren't always the best things for our lives. And if I were to guess, when we're looking at integrity versus that complete freedom in our lives of walking day to day, we wouldn't look back in our lives and say, man, I wish I had less integrity I wish when I was 16, I had less integrity. I wish when I was 25, I made the unwise choice because I would have had more freedom because I, wasn't as, I wouldn't be as limited. When we look back on our lives, we don't wish that we had less integrity. We probably wish we had more because our lives would be a reflection and we'd have less shame and less broken relationships. And we wouldn't have to bear the weight of some of those memories. And other people wouldn't have to bear the weight of some of those memories. If we would have decided ahead of time. So my ask to you is would you? Would you decide ahead of time to do what you ought to, even if it costs you? Would you make up your mind, no matter what stage of life that you're at, whether you're 15 or whether you're 80 and anywhere in between, there is a future in front of you, however short or long, that we can choose to make up our mind to do what we ought to, even if it costs you. And I believe when we make that decision, our lives will reflect Christ. Our lives will reflect how Daniel lived his life. Our lives will lead to prosperity. Our lives will lead to other people admiring us. Not because we want to have selfish gain, but because we have an influence on other people. We want to be at the top of someone else's list because of the character and the choices that we make. The integrity of the upright will guide them, but the crookedness of the treacherous will destroy them. In our lives, we have to be guided by integrity. We can't let fear or any other outside source drive our motivation, drive our decisions in our life. We have to be guided by integrity. And when we do, we're going to be able to put ourselves in a position that Daniel was in.
of when that hard choice comes at us, that we say, all right, now God, do with me what you will. Whatever you say, I am at your mercy. And when you hit that point, when you hit that point of saying, God, I trust you. I'm living my life with integrity. I don't know what's going to happen, but I have faith in you. Hold on. Because I believe that's the moment that God is going to use you to do immeasurably more than you could ever imagine. Because God's story for your life, God's will for your life is better than anything that we can dream up. So when we hit that point, when we offer ourselves to God, get ready because I believe something amazing is going to follow. Would you choose integrity? Would you choose what you ought to do even if it will cost you? I'd love to pray for us. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your example um, and Daniel of giving us someone to look up to, someone to model our lives after as someone who walked with integrity. Lord, I pray that we would see the bigger purpose. I pray that we would walk with more perspective and be able to follow your will closely as best as we can. God, we're thankful for you. We're thankful for your love and your grace and your mercy. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, before we head out, I wanted to give you guys three questions because I think this conversation is important. I think it's good to carry this on. So as you go to lunch, as you um, spend time with your family this week, if you're around the dinner table, if you're just hanging out, I'd encourage you to just talk about these three questions. Take a picture of it. I'm going to read them off um, or just remember them. Um, But I think it would encourage this conversation to keep going and figure out how we can live a life of integrity. Who do you want to be like? Is your answer based on that individual's character, achievements, or both? The second one is one breach of integrity often leads to another and makes the second breach easier. Where have you seen that play out personally, organizationally, or nationally? And the third is, have you ever attempted to rebuild trust with someone after a breach of integrity? What was your approach? I'd encourage you, write those down, take a picture, um, talk about them later this week. Hey, we are really excited for this week ahead.